Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Whenever this message reaches you, listening to another episode of the Six Feet on the Podcast. I am your five foot nine host with sophisticated ignorance, Uncle Poochie. <sighs> Damn, I really need to stop sighing, but I'm really fucking tired, guys, so please forgive me. But what's going on, everybody? What's going on, family? It is a wonderful fucking day. Why is it a wonderful day? Why? Um, well, one, first and foremost, it's always a wonderful day because you got air in your lungs. But two, it's a wonderful day because I have a guest on the show. And you know how I feel about my guest family. You know, everybody is my family that comes to the dinner table. But it's a really special guest uh, appearance today because it's a subject matter that's really hot. And everybody's been talking about for a very long time. And I have a good friend of mine uh, who, uh, you know, me and him, had, we we were supposed to link up for an episode before coronavirus. And then coronavirus came through and just made the world all wacky and shit. Um, but this is a good brother of mine. Uh, I don't really think a lot of people know as much about sports as I do, but this man does. Um, but I also know that this man knows a lot about social injustices. So when I thought about who I want to do this episode with, I was like, bro, there's nobody better than my man, Francis. Um, so I'm going to let Francis jump on the mic because I'm always super long-winded, introduce himself, and we're going to hop into this episode. So, uh, Francis, go ahead, introduce yourself to the family. What's up, everybody? Uh, my name is Francis. Uh, I'm a soci- I'm a sociology major. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been through a lot of different things in my life that have brought to light different situations and mm-hmm. and subjects that I probably wouldn't have been exposed to had I not been in those situations. So for me, a lot of the stuff that's going on right now is is really is really easy to understand and really easy to kind of like work my way through. And so I feel like uh, one of my uh, one of the things that's most important to me is is to be able to to share what I know and to be able to spread knowledge about just the things that are going on and just the impact that those things are having on people mm-hmm. and, and how they've impacted me gives me the insight to, to be able to um, just share that with other people. Yeah, for sure. Now let me give y'all some backstory on something. Cause I always got to give backstory and you love my stories. That's why you're here. So my man, Francis, I'm going to be quite frank with you. Okay. As suave and smooth as he sounds, he's a male man, but he ain't no simple male man. All right. He's an Italian male man. Well, I give you that back history is because Francis is a very, very, and what you guys would call quote unquote woke um, individual. Uh, me and him met, uh, we were working at a, a nonprofit institution um, and uh, we, we probably chatted up about sports for like two months. And I had no idea for the first two months that he was actually a white man. Like, <laughs> like you were super brown, bro. And it was like the summertime. So I was just like, oh, okay. And and why why that? I guess you said, why does that matter, Uncle P? Um, is because the uh, the nonprofit we worked in was uh, for basically uh, youth experiencing homelessness and disbandment. And like you were helping the youth, you still help the youth find jobs, right? That's what you do. Yeah. So we so we work with with youth uh, eighteen to twenty four, mm-hmm. low income, uh, formerly incarcerated youth, former foster youth. Uh, youth with disabilities, mm-hmm. mo- most disenfranchised people of Sacramento. Mm-hmm. You know, we're working with youth yep. from the Meadowview, yep. um, North Highlands, yep. Oak Park. You yep. know, all those areas where you know poverty is high, crime is high, and mm-hmm. they're they're just in a situation where they're 
they're at a, a lack of resources, you know? Yeah. And that was the crazy part about it was, is that, I, you know, in the year was, this was two years ago, I think, right? Like two, 2018, I think is when yeah. we met. Okay. So at the time I was going through my own personal struggles in life. And so I couldn't notice certain things. But one thing that stood about uh, Francis was how genuine he, one cared and how genuinely he did not judge like these youth. And as he stated, um, the youth that he helps find jobs, most of them, I'm just going to be quite honest with you, are black or brown. Like, yeah. that's just the honest truth. And so I've lived on this earth long enough to know when I run across Mayo people who are just doing it to make them feel fuzzy. Like they just want to feel good about themselves. <laughs> like, oh, we care about you, Jamal. You know, and there's ones that are like, no, dog, like, like thoroughly, I understand what you're going through. And Francis was one of those types. And so I just, it automatically clicked to me that he couldn't be white. I'm sorry. That's just what I thought to myself. And then when he explained to me, he was like, no, man, I'm just super Italian. That's why I'm brown. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that makes total sense. But um, to jump right into things, the reason why Francis is here today is because I know as a black man, I've been on this earth as a black man for the last 28 years. I know the social injustices that I've experienced. And I'm here to tell you all that, here, check this out. Francis is going to explain to you, social injustice is not just one size fits all. They don't care about your color, dog. They really don't care about your privilege. And he's here to put you guys up on game and explain to you like what it's like to go through the system because I'm going to put it like this. You guys can't see him. He's a very nice guy. Brian Shoulders. He would probably punch you into next week if he needed to, but he ain't really about that type of life. He's a really nice guy. But with every uh, person comes a backstory. I once heard someone say, don't allow one, one bad chapter ruin your life's book. And if that is true, that's definitely true about Francis. So um, Francis, if you don't mind, man, we're going to jump into it. Um, tell us a little bit about your your time and when you were first exposed to the system. And if you like to, man, go as in-depth as you want. Go in-depth as much as you don't want. We ain't going to snitch on ourselves. But, you know, tell a little people about your your first exposure to the system. Okay, so my, my first exposure, well, I even take it back to my first exposure with dealing with police. So mm -hmm. when I was a kid... Um, the first interactions I had with police were the police taking my dad away in handcuffs because he was doing some shit that, you know, was stupid. He was drinking and, you know, fighting people or, you know, whatever was going on. But it was it was crazy wild. We lived in Bakersfield, California. Baco. And so um, we lived in this long in these these apartments and it was just a long line of apartments that just went straight back to an end. And there was no there was no way you were coming out. You were going in the it's same like the jungles. way. Yeah, you yeah. were going in the same mm -hmm. way you were coming out. Yep. And so that kind of exposed me to just first of all to different cultures. There was there were Indian people that lived there, black people, Mexican people, like Samoan people, just every type of, of race you could think of. It was very multicultural. So to me, it wasn't very um it wasn't like a shock to me to see different people that, that didn't look like me. And mm -hmm. I didn't and so for me growing up, it wasn't like a like, oh, what is this person doing? Why are they, you know, I didn't, I didn't have that, that mindset. But if you fast forward, um, when I'm, when I was a kid, we moved to Grants Pass, Oregon and Grants Pass, Oregon is a, is a small town. It's about 40, 50,000 people, Shit. uh, primarily probably 85% now white. But when I was living there as a kid, <laughs> you're looking probably at like 95% white people. Like you okay. could literally, like you knew the the one person or the two people that were that were black or the Mexican family like there wasn't so the Mexican family the black family yeah, yeah it stood out you, so you when there was an influx of like 
too many colors or like an extra color, you like, hold on, hold on, yeah. hold on. Are you part of the Johnson family or the Ramirez family? Like, yeah. we know you're not from here. Okay. And so, like, to me, I, I, I had grown up around different cultures. So it wasn't, to me, I wasn't like, oh my God, look, there's the, the black guy or the Mexican guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. being a white person, mm-hmm. other white people felt comfortable with letting me know <laughs> that they know <laughs> that, okay, here comes, you know, whoever that's black or Mexican or whatever. And that they didn't feel comfortable with that, you know. So can, can I stop you right there? Just like like a little side story. I remember one time, it was so funny. And and this is one of my good friends. He did this, but he, I don't know why why white people do this, why male people do this. But um, my good friend, one time we were walking down the street off of Bradshaw, like kind of East Sac, like Lincoln yeah. Village area, which ain't like bad. It's like the start of like where the area gets kind of bad. Yeah. And we were walking, it was dark, and we were just walking to the store. And he he and I saw these two black guys starting to walk towards us. And he I just heard him underneath his voice. He goes, Oh boy. And I look at him and I'm like, Oh boy, what? <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh boy, what? And like the, the two black guys just walk past us because they minding their own fucking business. And they just walk past us and then we just keep walking. And you know, I could just tell his guards were up and I was like, dog, like, why? Like, what is well, you know, but anyways, I'll let you finish that. But that's just that that's that's common, man. It's no, it so is. super common. Yeah. And I mean, and we'll, we'll probably get into this a little bit later. But mm-hmm. I mean, when you're we're definitely when we're talking about social justice, though, mm-hmm. conversations like are different when you're obviously, you know, when you're in a group of mm-hmm. like if I'm here with you, right, mm-hmm. at your house. Mm-hmm. Well, if I go to another house and it's mm-hmm. all white people and I don't really know people that well, mm-hmm. so they don't know what my opinions and views, your views are. are. Yeah. You'll hear things said, mm-hmm. and that's where you go. Oh, that's kind of racist. Oh, the real, right. the, the real comes out, and you're like, oh, okay, oh, yeah. 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 And see, and and again, not to cut you off, but that was that was what kind of triggered me about not in, a, in a negative way, but in a positive way about Francis is that whenever I spoke to you, it wasn't like you were reaching. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you're like, oh, hey, other cool black guy. Like, like I know about your struggles. It was just like. Yeah, dog, uh, X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, oh, whoa, how the hell did you know that? And we'll get into that later on on how you knew these things. But that's what made me be like, okay, I can put my guards around. You know, I will go out there and say, there are what you consider good male people, good brown people, good black people, good, you know, whatever, good people in general, right? But you can just sense when you know people are just legitimately, when they have different ethnic backgrounds, when they're just trying to make themselves feel comfortable yeah. and when they're naturally just comfortable, like, dog, like, I, I get, you know, I can read the room. And that was one thing I felt about you. That's why I didn't think you were white for the yeah. first two months <laughs> that I met you. I was like, no way this guy's white. And then you told me that, again, mind blown, like, what the hell? But yeah, go ahead, go further into your story. Okay, so, so like I was saying, so you have 95% white people, so... Mm-hmm. Um, I just, uh, my, my parents basically, when we moved back to Oregon within a year, they divorced. Um, mm. I was basically told poor you, um, we're divorced. Life's so horrible. Um, you don't have to do anything that's difficult, anything that's hard, you know, cause you're <laughs> going through it. It's, you know, so pretty soon I'm, I'm, I'm given, you know, a half ass, uh, effort in school how old are you at this and, time uh, i'm like 13 years old right? oh the, pri- the pivotal years and so i can i can so i'm also this is a little off topic too mm-hmm. but i'm also writing a book about this i'm writing a mm-hmm. book about this whole experience mm-hmm. but so i'm 13 years old and this is one of the pivotal like you said moments to me because mm-hmm. i was on i was playing basketball i was mm-hmm. on the basketball team for school okay. right middle school cool and so i'm i'm like i love sports you know that yeah. i love i love sports yeah, that's football, how that's how when you first started everything. talking yeah 
So I'm on the team and I get called into one of my teacher's offices, right? They go, so look, like you got an F in this class. If you don't get this up to a C by next week, you're not going to be able to play. Like we're going to, you're, you're off the team, right? It's virtually impossible. I have no skills. (laughs) I have no time management skills. You're 13. Yeah, I'm 13. I have no parental support. So, so do you think I'm going to turn that F into a C? Fuck no. Hell no. No. Yeah. So, (laughs) So then the week goes by, I don't do it, mm-hmm. I get kicked off the team. So okay. at that point, the one thing that I had going for me that made me feel good mm-hmm. was was playing sports. Yeah. And now that's gone. Yeah. And so now I'm finding different groups of people to hang out with that mm-hmm. are not doing shit like me or that mm-hmm. are that that I feel like, oh, that person's more like me, mm-hmm. which was typically people that were living the same type of situation, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, you're 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 living in a um you're living poor, or broke, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have a lot of parental supervision. They're just out doing whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, okay, cool. So, like, what do we do? Oh, we got some some older homeboys, and then they're going to get the, us the, the liquor and yep. the, this and that. And so yeah. I started drinking. Yeah. I started drinking. Then next thing you know, like, I'm, I'm like 12, 13 years old, shit. drinking, smoking weed, like, doing whatever. Like, just yeah. doing crazy dumb yeah. shit. What year is this, too, if you don't mind me asking? This like- is, like, 1996. 798. And the only reason why I ask you that is yeah. because um you have to what you guys have to take in consideration too is that this is before social media as well. Yeah. Um like and, and I'm not trying to age you and be like, well, Francis grew up in a time period where yeah. but like in reality though, like y'all, y'all have to understand that like now it may seem like people give a fuck. And I say it may seem like they give a fuck because on the underlining, I feel like a lot of people don't, they just say face. But back in the 90s, in the late 90s, or just prior to the internet. If you just fell off the grid, like you just stopped coming to school, that was it. Like that yeah. was just it. Like motherfucker, if you just went missing, that that was it, dog. There wasn't this whole no child left behind policy of like, oh, what what happened to Francis? Who fucking cares? Okay, yeah. he's a he's a bum. You know what you? Uh, sorry to, to sidetrack, but you ever seen the movie Lean on Me? You ever seen the movie yeah. Lean on Me? You remind me of that scene in Lean on Me when uh this kid shows up to um Mr. Clark and he's like, Yo, Mr. Clark, I can't do this anymore. I'm just dropping out of school. And Mr. Clark looks at him and he's like, son, you'll be dead in a week. Like you'll be yeah. dead in a month or some shit like that. And yeah. he just he just walks off. And that was a, that was true back then. They were just like, Oh, I'm dropping out. All right, peace, yeah. man. You're you're gone. I don't know what to say about you. Now, like, you know, you kind of coddle kids, which is like good and bad. But yeah, that's that's just what it reminded me of. Yeah. So so at this point, like, um, I'm going to school just because it's something I, I've been told I'm supposed to do, you exactly, know, like, exactly. but there's not really any oversight. I'm not doing. So that's another difference. We used to have homework in school. I know nowadays <laughs> they don't give the kids homework because they think that that's too, too much. <laughs> but back in the day, you had a ton of homework. You go to school, you, you would have homework. You'd have a couple hours of homework a night oh to do. My so God. Shit. I didn't do none of that. So basically i end up i'm moving i'm living back and forth between my mom and my dad and they hate each other and Mm -hmm. they talk shit about each other all the time Mm -hmm. so it's just a wild dysfunctional environment Mm -hmm. it gets to the points where i'm like 15 years old and now my parents are just buying liquor for me so now i don't even have to go wow i didn't know that anybody else so they're just buying it for me Mm -hmm. so i i I get the cash i'll get it to them so how you getting the cash francis that's that brings me to my next topic (laughs) So I became very good at stealing, yeah. just stealing. So me, yeah. me and one of my friends who was older, um, we would go into stores and we would, we, there was literally like a strip, a little like shopping center. Mm-hmm. And we would literally go from store to store, mm-hmm. just 
just jacking, just mm-hmm. you know. And jacking. By the, by That's the, how you know you grew up in the nineties. Yeah. Jacking. Jacking. People don't use the term jacking anymore, Francis. <laughs> okay, but so, yeah, yeah, that means stealing. Yeah, everybody, so you guys know that means stealing. Um, but I would, I would leave with clothes, mm-hmm. shoes. Um, I used to love football cards and basketball cards, so yeah. I was jacking those. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So yeah. Um, I would get, I would get stuff, and then even sometimes I would be selling that to other people so mm-hmm. that I could get some cash. They'd be like, Oh, I want that mm-hmm. that shirt that's at JC Penney's or at mm-hmm. wherever. And yeah. Like, All right, I'll go get it for you. And then, you know, you shoot me 10 bucks yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And so I started doing that. And then there was kind of an evolution that happened where then it became, uh, I became the, one of the guys that I was older with, mm-hmm. he had another friend. Mm-hmm. So then we started uh, boosting cars, like getting stereo systems, getting, you know, rims, whatever, you know, we, we would. Back when it was a lot easier to do because the shit wasn't, it wasn't yeah. like cars weren't, cars weren't manufactured like they are now. So yeah. any of you all listening to this is like, how the fuck is he still in the car? Like it was nothing. I don't, I ain't going to incriminate myself, but it was yeah. nothing to take, you know, a tool and pop out a radio yeah. or like take somebody's tires or like take a battery. It was a lot easier to steal a car back then. They weren't manufactured like they are now. Yeah, so it's definitely definitely easier. And so I was basically getting trained how to do that. And so I'm doing that. Again, and, how old are you at this point still? And so I'm like 15. Shit. And so I'm doing this, you know, every weekend. Uh, that's what I'm doing, you know. So, um, <laughs> and then after that, we're, you know, we're going out and we're drinking, smoking weed, doing whatever, chilling. Um, but uh, so I'm doing that. And then uh, basically that evolves into burglaries so then mm-hmm. then we're you know we're finding this would be easier we, we would know girls and we would know okay when are they going to be home oh my parents are going to be out of town this weekend okay they're going to be out of town all right cool so then we go in we get what we get <laughs> we go take it pawn it whatever which is stupid you pawn some shit you stole Stole, yeah but i knew people that were over 18 so i couldn't technically do it but mm-hmm. they could so it was, it was the craziest shit ever but so we're doing all that and um so it's just like you're mentally your um your awareness for what you're doing and how it's impacting anybody else is just not there you don't have empathy because Mm-mm. no one's had empathy for you so nope. so in your mindset it's like i'm gonna do whatever i have to do to survive yep. so so we started doing that and then eventually it all came to a head when um one of my one of my friends knew this other guy and he was like yo there's this there's a store it's like it's out in the cuts no one knows about it like you guys could go out there you guys could rob it and no one would even know like no the cops wouldn't even be able to be there in time like it's so far out there you know and i was like all right cool let's do it you know so at the time like i know this is old too mm-hmm. so maybe a lot of people won't pick up on this either but <laughs> I, at the time, my, what I was listening to daily mm-hmm. is like Sibo, Brother Lynch, X-Rated. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Oh, no. There's still people this, who still listen to, you know, you know Dayton Family, the old 3-6 old Mafia, the old, uh, the old Bone Thugs. Like, yeah. yeah, no, I still have people who run up on me and they're like, bro, that old Andre, Andre Nicotina, that old yeah. uh, Yuck Mouth. And I'm like, yeah. what? How old are you? <laughs> like, yeah. you, like, I was like five when that came out. So, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Those... So, I was like a teenager. Mm-hmm. So, um. Yeah, so I, so I'm basically we're I don't know you know that song you know the Lope to the Brain uh uh-uh, no nah. okay so this is Brother Lynch song and it's Lope to the Brain and uh, so that's that was the song we're listening to on the way to rob to rob this, to rob this store, house right? damn dog and so we go we do it and mm-hmm. then um, basically like a couple weeks goes by mm-hmm. and so I'm like shit we got away with it in my mind mm-hmm. so yeah. in my mind yeah because you're a hand, fucking kid. 
on one hand, mm-hmm. I go, shit, I'm never going to do nothing like that again because I, I, I don't want to get in trouble. And now, mm-hmm. now, like, the seriousness mm-hmm. didn't really kick in until after. Mm-hmm. But then, after, like, a week and a half, I was mm-hmm. like, maybe we should do that shit again. Yeah, you yeah know? exactly. Because <laughs> it it's, works. It's, it's like my mama always says, she's like, you know, the thing about doing crimes is, is once you get away with it once – you think you can get away with it a second time, a third yeah. time, a fourth time. And generally, like they always say, when you get caught, it's not your first time getting you first no, time you did it. No. You've done this multiple times. You just got caught this time. So if you so you at this point, how old are you still at this point? So at this point, um, I just barely turned 17. Oh shit. So, so I, you're now an adult adult. I just barely turned 17. Mm-hmm. And so a little backstory on Oregon law. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1994, they created a law called Measure 11, and what that is is it's a mandatory minimum sentence for all juveniles that are 15 or older. So it means like if you commit any of these crimes, like there's of course there's like sex offenses, like child child abuse, you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's also violent crimes, like so assault, as mm-hmm. a set, first and second degree assault, mm-hmm. first and second degree robbery, mm-hmm. first and second degree kidnapping. Like mm-hmm. there's all these crime or manslaughter, all that. So Mm-hmm. If you get charged with any of these crimes, mm-hmm. even if it's your first encounter with the system, they mm-hmm. automatically bump you to an adult and you get a mandatory minimum sentence. So that means like 70 months. So like when I was charged, I was charged with robbery, second degree, 70 months. So 70 months day for day. You don't get out early no matter how you do. They give you day for day. So you don't there's no it doesn't matter. And so they they basically um, put fear into a lot of the voters mm-hmm. around that time mm-hmm. and basically told them, like, there's kids out here and they're going to be murdering everybody. You were uh, you were uh, what is that? They, they talked about that. You example. You yeah. were what they used to call a super. What was that? They called you guys a super villain or. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm referring to. Right. Like because you were around that time period, too. Like you were right after the the five grams gets you five years for crack cocaine. Yeah. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look up the term. Go ahead. Keep talking. But um, so so basically. Um, yeah. So I'm sitting in. First, they take me to the juvenile detention facility. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to probably be here for a couple months. This is going to be all good. It's not going to be a big deal. And then um, the third day that I'm there, they the sheriffs come and they and they pick me up and they're like, all right, well, we're taking you to county jail. And I was like, why am I going? I'm not even an adult. And they're like, well, we're charging you as an adult. Ooh. We've decided, you know. And I'm like, okay. So I go there. And then the, um, I don't know who he was, not like the warden, but he was like one of the top people there. He's like, so I just want you to know how serious this is, because if you're found guilty of all these charges, you're going to do 18 years. And I was like, <laughs> I, I was like sitting there like, I was like, wait, come again. Wait. <laughs> like, hold on, say that. Record scratch. <laughs> 18 years. I was like, damn, dude. I'm like, I'm not even 18 years old. Like, that's, you know all the life I've lived right now. And then I'm going to do all the rest of that in here. And uh, so I was like pretty terrified. And I, um, I got selled up with the dude. They sold me up with this dude who was older, who was, he was like in his forties, but he had been in and out of prison his whole life. So they were like, this dude, he was, while he was there, he was like the orderly and everything. So he was, he was cool. And uh, they knew like that he would, like kind of put me up on game or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, so I'm, I'm in there and I'm just like terrified, dude. And there was a, um, 
there was a, a one of the guards and this dude Bro, it was the biggest piece of shit ever. Like, and he thought I was Mexican. Mm-hmm. And he thought so. Like, honestly, when I was a kid, you know how it is. You're a kid. You look mm-hmm. who I'm looking up to. I'm looking up to a bunch of crip rappers, bro. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. of course, I have a bunch of blue bandanas, mm-hmm. blue shirts, mm-hmm. all this shit. Yeah. So Uncle when Snoop they taught as well. So, so when they so when they raid my house, right? Mm-hmm. Or they raid my my mom's apartment. They find all my shit and they say I'm a gang member. So automatically, I'm a gang member, right? So this 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 guard comes in and he's like. He's like that. That shit that you did on the streets ain't gonna work here. Like you're not gonna do your gang shit here. And I'm like, excuse me, excuse like, me? <laughs> sir. I am a 17 year old who made a mistake. I am not a gang member. Yeah, you I see how like, the image cleans up when you go to jail? You're like, yeah, oh, I'm not really that hard as I think I was. I was like, well, that's not really, you know. Uh, <laughs> now that I'm not drinking and smoking, <laughs> see things a little clearer. Yeah, exactly. Like, whoa, what the fuck? Uh, but no, but um, so so it was definitely a trip because um. I think one of the things that that we've all been seeing right now is is like this justice reform, and you mm-hmm. see these you see these um a lot of these uh, posts like on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, mm-hmm. and you see like uh, these counties, especially down south, you mm-hmm. see these counties where it's like the white kid he got uh, twelve months, and mm-hmm. then the black kid got fifteen years, mm-hmm. same crime, everything. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one thing that you got to understand, and this this directly ties into race, is that when you're living in an area that's ninety five percent white. Mm-hmm. It's like there's levels of white. <laughs> this is this this is a part. This is a, a definitely an interesting topic because because people people talk about white privilege and they go, okay, well, they don't understand that. Also, there there is white privilege. Definitely, there's definitely when me and Keith walk into a room, mm-hmm. people are gonna look at him differently. That's mm-hmm. that's just a fact. No, but most definitely, when when you live in a community that's all white, people mm-hmm. are looking at each other based on status, and they profile each other based on status the same way that they profile oh, hold on you telling me experiences that white people judge other white people oh yeah what, what? Yes. that's crazy so all white people don't love white people no whoa uh, yeah. i'm being very sarcastic by the way guys <laughs> <laughs> so so to them it's like i'm just this especially that you know because we grew up in in these okay this example is mm-hmm. kind of funny so the apartments we lived in you know what they were called on the streets they no, were called, they were called the baby mamas. Oh, yeah. Because generally, only baby mamas live there with their yes. single kids, and no, yeah, that because makes sense. Because there's the subsidized, mm-hmm. you know, there's the section for, um, eights and things like that. Yeah, there's it was just eights. like when you said, uh, it, uh, you know, the jungles is a, a popular uh, projects in L.A. And so when you said you were living in Baco, and there was one way in, one way out, what did I automatically call it? The oh, jungle, you live in yeah. the jungle. Okay, yeah, no, definitely. And so, like, so obviously like our neighborhoods were more filled up with cops because they're like, okay, you're dangerous. You know, this is where the danger is going to happen. This is where, you know, the drama is going to happen. We're going to be here. And so, um, so yeah, so my, so like my experience, like you were saying, um, kind of like the, the racial experience that like a a black person or or, um, a brown person goes through, Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm not gonna say it was exactly like that, but mm-hmm. I'm gonna say like they definitely looked at me like, dude, you're you're a piece of shit, mm-hmm. you know. And so mm-hmm. I went through like seven months in county jail. I, I go to the um to the judge, you know, to see the judge and, mm-hmm. and they're like, um well actually even take it back further than that. Because like I was telling you when I was mm-hmm. watching this, I was watching the 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 free meek mm-hmm. um thing that they have on Amazon, the mm-hmm. documentary. Uh-huh. And he was he brought up a point that I didn't even think about. And he was talking about when he was going through his, his case in the, initially and they were like, 
like this is what you need to do. But he didn't really understand the laws and understand like he wasn't educated. He wasn't educated, so he didn't understand that them putting him on ten years of probation was a setup. Yeah. So that he, you know, because they knew that anything could happen, and then bam, going right back. Broke you. Yep. Going right back. So for me, when I was arrested initially, I was also put in a room and with this dude, and he's like, "I'm the detective, so you you can talk to me." Um, I'm your friend. Yeah, he's good like, cop, bad cop type shit. He was. He was mm-hmm. like, "So look, I just need to know what happened because you know, you know, I know you're you're not 18 yet, and so we just want to know what's going on, and we want to be able to help you." Mm-hmm. And and he's, he's basically bullshitting me, yeah. and and didn't tell me that it was my right to have a parent there. I didn't know that. Didn't tell me it was my right to have a lawyer there. Mm-hmm. I didn't even understand why I would need a lawyer there. Like I just. I didn't understand the system at all. So, so you just scared. You were just you yeah. just wanted to go home. Yeah, I was uh-huh. just I was just terrified to be there and terrified to to not um, be able to you know go home. Mm-hmm. And so that to me is is a big point as well as in social justice and, and justice system is like understanding that people don't know their rights regardless no. of 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 color. You know, most people don't know their rights. Most people aren't educated on what the system is. Um, and I'll get into my uh, my side of it. Um, and, but we're going to take a little commercial break because, uh, as always, you know, your Uncle P has bad kidneys. I got to go take a piss. But uh, listen to my sponsors and we will be right back. OK. And we are back. Thank you so very much for dealing with us. Um, before we jump back into it, I want to just uh, go into something. One thing that I love that, uh, that Francis pointed out is that the system don't give a fuck about the color of your skin when you in it. And that's again one of the reasons why I wanted Francis here is because as I told as I told Francis, um it's one thing for me as a black man to talk to you guys about social injustice. Um but I'm not going to lie to you. At a certain point, a lot of people become tone deaf or you sound like a broken record because it's just like, okay, another black person complaining about the system, blah, 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 blah. Come down, Jamal. You've never been arrested. This isn't the 60s. And it's like, yo, okay, all right. Well, you're true. It isn't the 60s. It's fucking 2020. But we're still dealing with the problems that we dealt with in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s. But again, like I told you guys before, I wanted Francis here because he could give you the perspective of a white man and being like, hey, man, the, the system saw me as a fucking criminal and they didn't give a fuck about what I look like, what my color was. It was just like you're a thug. You're a super predator. That was the term I was trying to tell you or remind you of. You're a super predator and we got to get you out of the fucking paint. So uh, now in the second half, uh, we'll we'll kind of just chime in. And uh, Francis is going to discuss like the matter of being in the system, what it was like being in it and then getting out of it. Um, because I mean, the man has a wonderful perspective about it that like, again, like I said, it's cool. It's super cool because if you saw him, if you could see him, you know, you know, you see, you watch law and order and all those TV shows. You're like, that guy's a criminal. That guy looks like a, thug. <laughs> you know, like you think like, yeah, I can spot a criminal. And it's like, no, the fuck you can't because sidebar, I was a uh, intern for this attorney's office, um, for about a year. And I had to do a whole bunch of case files, a whole bunch of case files. And I can't tell you how many youth counselors, how many, um, I don't know, just your regular run-of-the-mill looking people were criminals. And they did not look, quote-unquote, like a criminal. You know, they were just these simple, plain-jane guys who just happened to have an assault case or, a, you know, a battery case or, a, you know, a sodomy case or mayhem case. And that's the crazy thing is that Francis is a complete, you know, depiction of, like, look, dog, like, 
you don't know what a person's been through. So please don't try to judge a book by its cover. So, uh, Francis, now can you explain to us now? Like you, you're in the system. Um, first and foremost, like how many years did you do? And then what was it like while you were in there? And then tell us about life afterwards, if you can. Okay. So, yeah, so I did, um, 70 months, which is basically six years. Mm. Um, I started out, like I said, I was in the juvenile correction uh, holding place for a couple of days. I did about seven months in county jail, and that was where I kind of learned about, you know, just basically what it's like to be locked up and then uh, a lot of the politics and, and stuff like that. And so I never had any idea that I would be able to go to like a youth facility because I thought, you know, if you're charged as an adult, you're going to go to prison. So I spent that seven months preparing for prison. So I'm so I started working out when I got in there, I was about 240 pounds. I was totally fat, no muscle from drinking forties and smoking weed. You know, I want to be like brother Lynch. So I'm sitting here drinking OE forties every day, <laughs> you know, OE for you. I don't know what that is. And mad dog 2020 and all oh, that. God. And so, yeah, broke people shit. <laughs> malt liquor. Yeah. Malt liquor. So, um, so I lost about 50 pounds while I was in county jail. And so I go to this is this is one of the most terrifying stories to me is, is I go to coffee. It's called a Coffee Creek Correctional Facility. Hmm. It's the women's prison in Oregon, but it's also the adult intake center. So hmm. half of the prison is where the women are, are lodged. Half of the prison is where they take everybody who just got sentenced they put them all here while they figure out where are we going to send you? What what facility are we going to send you to? So imagine being on a block with about 200 people who had all just got sentenced, who are all just fucking angry, pissed off, don't care about anything because they're like, I just got 15 years. I just got 10 years. My life is got, over. I just got life for mm-hmm. some of them, you know? So they take us on a on a bus. We go up we go up here to Coffee Creek Correctional Facility. We get off the bus, and the first thing we walk into this room, and it's like a horseshoe shape, a bench that goes all the way around. It's this, this huge bench. Everybody gets in the room, and they say, "All right, everybody, get naked." And I'm like, the fuck? I'm, "I'm in a room with about you know 75, 80 grown men, and we're all sitting on this bench." They say, "Everybody, get naked." And um, they start having people go one by one. You go up into the in front of the correctional officer. You know, you raise your dick, you raise your nuts. You they make you uh, turn around, bend over, cough, and they're doing it. And everybody's sitting on that bench, and everybody's just looking. And while they're doing it, the correctional officers are literally like making fun of you and like talking shit to you the whole time. Man, so they're like finding something about every person to like to say you know what i mean that's that's just demeaning or disrespectful because they know they know there's nothing you can do mm-hmm. like they know you're at the most vulnerable position you could pro- probably have been in in your life yeah. and so they're they're taking full advantage of the power and so that to me was like once i already thought it was a wake-up call i got six years so i was already like holy shit what's going on but then that was like whoa so i'm in coffee creek and um and 
another another big uh thing happened while i was there too there was a it was maybe like the second week i was there because typically you're only supposed to be there for a week but this this facility had just been open because of all this measure 11 sentencing they had to open new jails and prisons Mm. because they had too many people who are getting incarcerated for too long big money so they're they they rebuilt this whole other side of this prison and um so i'm there and the second week I'm there, you start hearing this yelling and screaming. And this dude sounds like he's letting out these like blood curdling screams, dude, like he's dying. And he's yelling for help, yelling for help. And then you hear all the all the cells just lock and everybody has to go into their cell like hella fast. So so we go in and then bam, you know, all these guards come up and then it's just quiet for a little bit. And then, you know, maybe five, 10 minutes later, they come out and there's like two dudes on each side of a blanket. And that blanket is like blood's dripping out of that blanket, right? Mm. This dude got stabbed up by a celly. He was a cop. He was a cop who molested a little girl. And so they found out about it. And so they, you know, whoever, however, you know, information travels quickly. Yeah. So they found out about that. This dude gets stabbed. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, I'm fucking like, this is what I'm about to deal with for like the next six years. Like I'm going to be, you know, and so it was a complete shock. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was there for about like 40 days and then they, they sent me to McLaren youth correctional facility, which I was super surprised by. I was like, wait, I'm going to go. I was like, I didn't think I could go to a place like that. I'm mm-hmm. charged as an adult, mm-hmm. but what they would do is they would process you as an adult mm-hmm. and you could go to like, um, the YCFs mm. and then explain what a YCF is. So uh, that's a youth correctional facility. It's basically mm. a youth prison. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's um, same thing. You don't go outside or, you know, you don't go outside of the building. Everything's mm-hmm. wire gates, mm-hmm. everything. The only difference is there's more programs for like, for schooling mm-hmm. and for, you know, like, um, like they had violent offender groups, sex offender groups, like depending on what your charge is. So there's, mm-hmm. there's stuff like that that you can do. And um, so I went there and uh, the first couple of years, like, honestly, I just didn't take it serious. Cause I was, you know, like, mm-hmm. like I said before, I had no, um, I had no guidance by anybody. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of like, I was still doing the same shit. We're sitting around playing spades, bullshitting, mm-hmm. talking about, Oh yeah, I did this when I was out. Oh yeah, I did this. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Comparing, trying to be cool, all that. How do you at this time? And so at this time I'm like 19 probably. Yeah. So you've been in about two years at like this point. Two, yeah. Like two years. And mm-hmm. then, um, eventually just like one day I was sitting there and what it didn't motivate me to do better because it was the right thing. It motivated me to do better because I started seeing like there were, there was like a level system. So Mm -hmm. if you did well, then Mm -hmm. like you could like dudes were like playing Xbox and shit Mm -hmm. or whatever. And so I was like, damn, "Damn, I kind of want to do that shit. So good behavior type shit. So yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, so I knew I had to bullshit my way because (laughs) I didn't like sex offenders and I used to fuck with them all the time. Mm -hmm. So but if you did that, mm-hmm. they would like dock you. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, you couldn't so give like, you couldn't give people. You mean although I don't fuck with sex offenders either. Give them a buck fifty across the face, which is one hundred and fifty stitches. By the way, uh, don't get you any brownie points with the warden. No, so they so they, <laughs> they they weren't for that. So mm-hmm. it just got to the points where I just became smarter. You know, like mm-hmm. I learned how to work their little system, and um, <laughs> I was working in like the kitchen, which is cool because you you would get to eat. Mm-hmm what you wanted to eat if yeah. you worked in the kitchen, mm-hmm. you know? So I would work in the kitchen. 
I was getting levels. I was doing stuff. And then I started, I was going to school cause you had to. So I, I basically like when I went in, um, I had like a half of a year of credits total. <laughs> so, you know, how you have four years of high school. I had a half of a year. And you were credits. 17 at that point. No, I was 17. I was a junior. So, so you had basically, you were like freshman status. Yeah. If that. Yeah. And so I basically, I went there. I got my GED and then I just continued to do school because it was just like a thing that everybody was doing. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I graduated with my diploma. Yeah. Um, and I started taking a couple college classes and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I think for me, just the biggest thing was um, I think just realizing like I, I was going to have to do shit for myself. I think yeah. something that you were talking about earlier about like, did you ever feel like did I ever feel like my privilege was taken away from me? Yeah. Or did I, you, you know, you like yeah. mentioned the the thing from American history X, the yeah. quote. Yeah. And, uh, do you want to? Yeah. Yeah. So basically uh, to, to follow up on it, one of the biggest things, like I said, and I can't stress this more is that what wowed me and I'll actually, I'll tell two stories. What wowed me about Francis is I had been knowing him upwards to almost a year. And uh, like, like I said, like he said, me and him, both like sports. Uh, football is one thing we debate about. He he likes this trash team from Philadelphia. Uh, I like this cool team with the star on it from Dallas. Uh, we won't say their names because we're not getting paid by them. But he he, uh, he invites me over to I think watch a basketball game, and he's like, uh, and and you know he he invites me over, and we're eating and stuff, and uh, I go to his refrigerator to go get like a, a glass of water or something, and I see a picture on the refrigerator, and it's him. And like these three guys and they're like posed like and I don't I can't tell where they are, but they're like flexing. And I'm like, yo, look at y'all like looking y'all like jailhouse pose. And he just goes, huh? And he just leaves it at that. <laughs> and I'm just like, OK, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then we just continue to talk like throughout the day while watching the game. And he he says to me uh, something, 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 clemency. And I go, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, dog, I, I went to jail again. Mine fucking blown i had no idea that this guy had been to jail and what was even more what it made it, it all made it make sense at the time prior to the story being told to me prior to me finding out he went to jail francis had said to me hey you know i have a master's degree and i remember looking at him because me and him worked at this again we worked at this nonprofit, and i wanted to get the fuck out of the job i didn't like it and i wasn't really sure what his status was on it but i thought like hey this guy's pretty educated why are you here so when he said yo i have a master's degree, I really looked at him and was like, yo, do you have no ambition? Like, what the fuck are you doing working here? So when he told me, yo, I went to jail, it all clicked. It all made sense. I was like, that's why you work here. And that's not to be offensive to you or nothing like that, dog. I was just like, you know, like, you seem like you have better potential than this. Why are you here? And when you said no, like, pooch, bro, I went to jail. I, and, then, and then you told me how long you went to jail for. And I was like, what the fuck? Um, the portion about American History X, that movie, if you guys have never seen it, I actually like it. It's a really good movie. You know, I don't name drop, but that's a movie I think you guys should watch. But I was telling Francis in the middle of uh, like our, in a, uh, while we were waiting is that there's a scene in American History X um, backstory. It's a story about um, a neo-Nazi uh, white supremacist guy who uh, goes to jail for killing a black guy at the beginning of the movie. I don't remember why he kills him. But there's a scene when that, that neo-Nazi is in jail and he's talking to uh, this black dude. And up until this point, the, the Nazi, the neo-Nazi white supremacist guy, he's like, he's really proud of being white. He's like, I'm white. I'm privileged. I'm white. And the black dude looks at him. And he goes, listen here. 
You may be white in the outside, but in jail, you're just another nigga. And the look on his face, the Nazi, the neo-Nazi white supremacist guy, is just like, what the fuck? What are you saying? I'm not a nigger. I'm 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 white. I'm privileged. And the black guy looks at him, he's like, all right, well, keep 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 living in here in jail. Keep standing here. You'll see that whatever you feel that privilege is, that shit ain't real, dog. That's all in your fucking brain. You're you're just a, another piece of fucking property. Uh you're your number. That's what he explained to him. You're a number. You're nothing but another fucking number. You're state property. Nobody fucking cares about your whiteness in jail. So I was asking Francis before we started, I was like, bro, did you feel like when you went to jail, like did your privilege like disappear? Did you feel like like did the system care that you were white? And he was like, bro, the system to give a fuck that I was white. And so I'll let him kind of explain that again, like what, what, how much privilege is just a mindset. It's not a real thing. So, yeah. So like, like I was saying initially there, there's about 95% white people in Grants Pass, Oregon. So, so to them, um, you know, the levels, it's like, I'm, I'm just some lower level person that's on welfare. My, you know, my, my family ain't shit. And I'm out here doing crimes or I'm out here disrupting their environment. Mm -hmm. So because of that, they're Mayberry, their perfect yeah, world. Yeah. So exactly. So, so then it's like, well, then I need to be removed. And, um, and I don't think I've never thought about it myself, like as a white privilege thing. I thought, I think about it, like I, I, I get white privilege and I understand what it means. And, um, I think the, the phrase that really sticks out to me though is entitlement. Mm. And, and I think like white privilege it reeks of entitlement. It reeks Ooh, of, I yeah. deserve this because I am this. And and a lot of times people can't even connect it to, they just, they just know that they feel like they deserve more than another person. They don't, they can't even connect that. The reason I feel that way is because I'm white and because I've, I've grown up in this environment and I've grown up around these certain people and I have these standards that I feel I'm entitled to. Mm -hmm. And so um, to me, I think the biggest part of me getting locked up was like, I was like, uh, I'm just a kid. Mm. So I felt entitled, like, mm. well, I shouldn't get sentenced to, to no time because I'm just a kid. <laughs> and then when I got sentenced, it was like, why are they doing this to me? This is unfair. This is, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I feel like that was the entitlement I had, especially those, like I said, those first couple of years. And mm -hmm. that's really why I didn't do shit. Like I didn't, I didn't progress at all because mm -hmm. my mind was so stuck on, I was wronged for I was given this time. This was my first time getting arrested for a crime, even though, like you said, I'd done many crimes before that. I just hadn't gotten caught. But in my mind, this is my first time, so I, I don't deserve this. And so I think for me that was that was my thing. But then once I think once I got to a point too where I realized like I had I just had to realize like this shit ain't gonna get no better unless I do something. Like I can keep sitting here um, waiting for, you know, somebody to help me or feeling like I deserve to, you know, for things to work out differently or whatever. Um, I even put in a petition for, um, to get good time. Cause like I told you, mm. the measure 11 sentencing is day for day. Mm -hmm. So like three years after I got incarcerated, mm -hmm. they made changes to the law okay. to where now people could earn a good behavior time mm -hmm. and 20% off of their time. So I was mm -hmm. like, Oh, if I get 20% off my time, I'll be out of here in like a little bit over four and a half years. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I'll, you know, so I put in a petition for that mm -hmm. and then uh, it came back and they were like, 
we're not doing retroactive. So oh, you've already been sentenced. God, so you can, not, yeah, you don't yes. fall into the new law. So I couldn't get it. Fuck. So I had, I had put that thought in my mind that I'll be out, I'll be out earlier, mm-hmm. but it wasn't real. You know what I mean? And so then I felt the entitlement from that too. So I, I was just upset and mm-hmm. just feeling like, you know, like I was wrong again. And, um, and going through, going through that situation just really showed me that like, it showed me two things. It showed me that one, that if I'm in an environment that's even remotely stable, mm-hmm. like I can really thrive. Mm-hmm. Like if I, if I know what's going on and I, and I have a goal and I, and I, then I can do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it also, it also showed me how learned hopelessness is just, is so rampant, dude, especially, I mean, I know that that's, that's a thing within a mm-hmm. lot of, um, low income, you know, African American and, mm-hmm. and, and Mexican communities, but it's also like people who are incarcerated. It's that learned helplessness where mm-hmm. they feel like no matter what they do, mm-hmm. their situation is not going to change. So mm-hmm. fuck it. Why why even change? Why even yeah. try, you know? Yeah. And and I and I feel like the system on another note, the system does that. Like, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're a kid and you grew up in a family that's gotten welfare since the day you were born Mm -hmm. you're you're putting they're putting that in your mind systematically always need to be systematically counting on something from another person like you you can't do it yourself you need this help so so that's that even goes back to those kids you know at the homeless place like Mm -hmm. they're they're sitting here and they're 19 years old and they're going i need somebody to give me transitional housing i need somebody to give me this i need this voucher i need this (laughs) they're they don't mentally they've been minimized mm-hmm. by the system to just believe that systematically this is what you're supposed to do yeah that they that they can't do it themselves and that and to lean into that that because i remember having in 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 i'll tell you this man your uncle puche has had a transition in his thought process because boy let me tell you i was quite angry with the system <laughs> when he and i worked with each other because i i'm not gonna front with y'all and because i don't want nobody calling me out on this because i'll just be real with you i was like these motherfuckers are lazy and I'd be like, bro, these people are fucking lazy. They just don't want to fucking work. Which, you know, like, and you hear people say this stuff all the time. Like, these people are lazy. They just want to be dependent on the government. But I had to take a step back. And, like, I talked to Francis about I was like, you know what? This is not the first generation of feeling this way. I would have to talk to these kids' parents, their parents' parents, maybe even their parents' parents. Like, maybe two, three generations. And as Francis pointed out earlier, is that, not to say it like this, but to say it like this. Your foundation is your future. If you ain't got it, then more likely you ain't got a future. Francis pointed out to you guys earlier, when he was 15, he said that his parents were buying him alcohol. And not to place that blame completely on his parents, but I'm going to take a wild and crazy guess, Francis, that maybe your mom and dad's parents weren't that stable themselves. Huh? No, no. I, mean, I mean, that was that was a part of it. It was mm-hmm. like, so it was the opposite for my mm-hmm. mom. Mm-hmm. My mom... Mm-hmm. My mom's family was very privileged. Okay. They, they had, mm-hmm. she had, her parents had money. Mm-hmm. They, they hated my dad. Mm-hmm. They didn't want my mom and dad to get married. Mm-hmm. They, they were going to pay for my mom to go to, they were going to pay for her to go to UCLA. <laughs> oh, she, she said no to marrying mm-hmm. my dad because mm-hmm. she wanted to spite them. Mm-hmm. My dad's parents were mm-hmm. different because mm-hmm. my dad's dad died when he was young. Mm-hmm. So he and just, he had the same kind of thing that happened to me. It was just like, raise himself. Hey, you know what? Your life's tough. Your dad died, you know, Hey, you know, poor you, everything, you know, so he was treated that way. So then you combine those two worlds together and shit collides homie. And it was just like, you have two people who, 
at differing degrees have these different experiences, but mm. they're all wrapped around one common thing. And mm. that's a lack of accountability. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. It's, it's, it's about, you know what? I didn't pay the rent. So I'm getting kicked out. The landlord's an asshole. No, mm-hmm. wait, no. Yeah. No, the landlord is not an asshole. You didn't pay the <laughs> rent. rent. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Oh, I showed up late to work twice and my boss is, is suspended me. Well, you showed up late to work. Your <laughs> boss is not the asshole. And mm-hmm. so that was like, that was the most common theme of my childhood was like a lack of accountability and being able to blame that on somebody else. Which, which if, if I can, it's so super funny. It was not funny, but to turn it around, like Francis just said, like his, his mother had like a, a good life for the most part. His father had, you know, what he had for the most part. But what was what really, really boiled everything down was that on the flip side of everything, you can have privilege and turn that shit into making a negative you know, yeah. your mother could have simply, you know, turned it to a positive. Like, you know what, mom and dad, maybe you're right. Maybe this guy isn't good for me. And your dad, on the other hand, like, hey, kid, like, you can't just be mad because things didn't go your way. Like, you know, people die, dog. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I will say this. <laughs> it is kind of funny. And I'm not I'm not trying to harper too much on white people. But it is kind of funny, the, the accountability factor that it seems like we see a lot of uh, male people or just people in general don't take accountability for their fucking actions. Yeah. Like, I don't know where people get this from, but I remember being in school and being taught this thing called cause and effect. For everything you do, Mm -hmm. there's a fucking effect. And so, you know, it's kind of weird that you see people like um, say things or do things on the Internet because the Internet's a wild fucking place, man. It's a wild fucking place. And uh, me and you both on Twitter, we see crazy stuff all the time. But it's crazy that people will say, do, and do all these things and then jump around and be like, I'm so sorry. I had a bad day. And it's like, bitch, I once got fired from two jobs in one day. I went home and I cried in a pillow. I did not go on a rant and curse people out and like call people out their names and and say misogynistic things on the internet. Like, it's crazy because the lack of accountability thing, that's just not a white thing. That's a human race thing of like, dog, stop. And when we worked, when me and him worked at that facility with each other, one of the things that would really bother me is like, uh, I would look at these kids, most of them are brown and black. I would just be like, listen, man, you know, for example, we would feed these kids <laughs> in the morning and it would be like, hey, we got Frosted Flakes. I don't want Frosted Flakes. I won't. I don't know. Uh, some other cereal, Captain Crunch. And he's like, motherfucker, we got Frosted Flakes for you. Take the fucking food. Yeah, it's free. It's free. <laughs> it's free. Like, please take it. But it's just one of those things where, like, Francis is saying, like, systematically, when you are in a household or you're just in an environment where things are either given to you or you feel as though, I wouldn't say given to you, where you feel as though you don't know your way out, you feel as though some way, somehow, somebody has to take care of you. It's very hard, y'all, to try to see the forest from the fucking woods when nobody in your family has done anything different, you know? So I just say that to take in consideration my mindset has changed. Be a little sensitive to the fact that not everybody... You you listen to J. Cole? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, J. Cole just dropped a song, song uh, Snow on the Bluff, or whatever the fuck it was called, whatever. But he pretty much points out that just because you know what you know, it's not your job to undermine people who don't know that, yeah. you know? Like, I think a lot of times in my education and my sophisticated ignorance that I always tell you guys about, and that was one of the first things I dropped when I ever first did an episode, was like, my sophisticated ignorance goes as far as understanding that I know what I know, and that's only known because I was taught this. There are people 
who don't know this. So it's not my job to tear them down. Be like, you're a scum. You're a fucking bottom feeder. You're this, you're that. It's because, dude, you had the privilege. And this is where it wraps around to not just being a white white thing. You had the privilege, black man, brown man, Asian man, to have a foundation from a family member who told you right from wrong. Some people are not given that. That's just, it, it woos me because people always want to point the finger but nobody ever wants to look at the cause. Like, how did that person really get there? Now, mm-hmm. it's understood some people are just pieces of shit. It just, it's just like that. But I will come out and tell you guys that a lot of times, a lot of times you see these people, a lot of times you hear about these stories with these folks, especially particularly people of like you know, poverty. They are only just uh, shout outs to my boy DJ Hill Supreme. They're only products of their environment. There is as as and and not to blame the music industry, but as Francis said, when you when you listen to your rap songs yeah. and you don't have really have your influence, I mean, it doesn't have to just be rap. You look up to certain people and what you find to be cool at 16, 17 years old is what you generally in, uh, you imitate. You know what was cool when I was 14 years old, Francis? Soldier Boy. <laughs> so I dressed in neon colors, wore big ass glasses, with big ass shoes and wore the ugliest shit in the world. But that motherfucker was cool when I was 14, 15 years old. So that's what I fucking did. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And so, you know, yeah, you know, I thought in myself, like, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie to y'all. I'm not going to lie. I never went as deep as Francis. You know, I got in a little bit of trouble, never got in deep as Francis. But hell yeah, I thought toting guns and shooting dice was cool because Biggie said it over at 808 base. And that shit sounded dope. But luckily, my dad was like, listen, son, like, I have friends who did that. And I can show you what they look like. Um, little side history story. You guys probably heard the episode I did with my, my dad. If, if you haven't heard it, Francis, it's pretty fucking dope. My dad is what I like to call a domesticated hood figure. What the fuck does that mean? It means my dad is like, he looks like the typical, like, middle age, like, black guy, has a nice family and kids. Like, he drives a, you know, like a nice, safe car. But my dad is from one of the worst projects ever in the south side of memphis tennessee but my dad's been through so much that you know it doesn't really dawn on him sometimes of where he's came i think i think he just because he just like you said like when you just start moving in the right direction of doing what's right uh-huh. you don't think back you know yeah. I mean, me and francis uh when we first started the episode i was like francis how long you been locked up he's like six years i was six i was six years in he's like dude i don't even remember it's been so far along but my dad's the same way because he spent so much time in that project that now that he's gone, he's been gone for so long, it's kind of like, oh, hey, man, yeah, that was part of my life. So funny story, this fool is taking me one time, like, around the neighborhood in Memphis. Um, and he's like, hey, you want to go where, you want to see where I grew up? And I was like, yeah, cool, that's dope. And I think I was, like, 17, 18 years old at the time. Now, these projects, when I tell you, they are just, boy, they're just, man, they don't look nice at all. And my dad shows up to these projects. We're in a rental car, a nice rental car at that, which, again, you you know who's in and out of this neighborhood, right? But my dad's thinking the year is 1988 and shit. (laughs) He gets out of the rental car, and he's all just like, hey, uh, yeah, so we used to live over there, and we used to live over there. And he just gets out in his fucking IZOD shirt and his khakis and shit, looking like an op, just straight up like an op, just pointing around. And there are these groups like five black guys. And they look at my dad pointing, and I noticed that they're all like poked, like, like, hey, who the fuck is that? You know what I'm saying? And my dad's not paying attention. He's too busy being wrapped up in his story about what we have going on. And then he just doesn't realize. And I'm like, hey, dad. So and then I'm looking around. I'm like, dad, get in 
the car and my dad's not paying any attention to me. He's just going down memory lane, just pointing like, oh, there used to be a you know a convenience store over there, blah, blah, blah. And I, I finally get my dad back in the car and I realized that my dad doesn't realize that he's so far removed from what he used to be that he didn't even notice like the quote unquote possible danger we were in. And it just goes back around to what, what uh, Francis was saying was just like at a certain point in your life, you get so removed from the things you've done that you're just like, Oh, Oh yeah. I, I used to do that. And that's growth, man. That's simple fucking growth that you, I think all of us, I mean, I'm 28 Francis. He'll, he can tell your age his if he wants, but it says, if you look at your life currently, and you're doing the same things that you were doing 10 years ago, you, and chances are you weren't successful. I'm just put it out there. <laughs> chances are you weren't successful. Uh, you're fucking moving backwards, man. There's no way, even the most successful person should not be doing what they were doing 10 years ago. Cause life is a, um, is a progression. It's a process. It should be a moving forward situation. But for a lot of us, it's just a, a, a moving situation. You're just moving and you're just going, but you're not doing much. So Francis, now, um, as we were about to wrap this up, now you're, you've done your time, right? You, you did six years, right? Yeah. Okay. You, you did all 70 months. Yeah. You did the whole fucking Every Woo! Every day. day, every minute. Every... You know what's you know kind of funny though mm-hmm. is that um, so I was I was arrested on March first, mm-hmm. yeah, March first, two thousand two. Mm-hmm. So it just so happened mm-hmm. that because it was five years, ten months, mm-hmm. I was released January first, two thousand eight, <laughs> at midnight. You know what I mean? Because because as soon as basically, so like if you're if you're locked up, this mm-hmm. is what. I don't think a lot of people realize this too is like if you get out if you're if your release date is a certain date you get out at midnight damn so you you because if you're not supposed to be there mm-hmm. and you're there and mm-hmm. some shit happens they're liable mm-hmm. liable yeah. happens to you yeah. so so like at 1201 <laughs> I'm walking out you know at, at you know and I'm going home um but uh one more, or there's there's just two more things mm-hmm. I wanted to yeah. talk about. So while while I was while I was there, um, one big thing because you were talking about um, growth and, mm-hmm. and understanding, like, man, I used to do these things mm-hmm. and 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 it's just not cool anymore. Mm-hmm. So when I was, I think it was the third year I was locked up. I was I was I started writing, mm-hmm. you know, because I like to write. Like mm-hmm. I said, I'm writing a book right now. Mm-hmm. I used to write music. I used to do music, mm-hmm. and. Um, so I'm writing for a paper. We had like a facility paper. Mm-hmm. And so I'm doing music. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing hip hop. And I'm asking people who mm-hmm. they want me to do stories about. Mm-hmm. And so I find, um, I find uh, while I'm doing this, I find I stumble along like, oh, here's the thing, right? Right X rated at whatever prison. The, the rapper X rated? X rated. Right? Yeah, I remember. That was, my, that was my favorite, one of my favorite rappers mm-hmm. from Sacramento too. I didn't know that. But um, so... I, I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm gonna write this dude a letter, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I looked up to this dude mm-hmm. when I was younger, mm-hmm. and you know, I saw I write him a letter, and, and the whole time everybody's like, oh, he ain't gonna write you back, mm-hmm. you know. He's, everybody's talking shit, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like a couple months goes by, I get a letter from this dude, and it's not just like some little bullshit, like mm-hmm. thank it was you, <laughs> like a three pages long. Wow. And he's telling me, you know, like I respect what you wrote, mm-hmm. you know, you seem like you're in a state of mind where you want to improve, you want mm-hmm. to do better. Mm-hmm. This, you know, like, and he was basically, cause he was doing 31 years. So he's basically telling me like, 
you know, take advantage of this opportunity. You're mm-hmm. about to get out. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't have that opportunity. Yeah. You have an opportunity to change things up. And he just started kicking me game like mm-hmm. shit that I wouldn't even think about. Mm-hmm. So this is a dude that was locked up for 31 years mm-hmm. that's telling me mm-hmm. what I need to do to keep my shit right. <sighs> and so me and him kind of became pen pals. We mm-hmm. write each other all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was huge for me because that was one of my idols that, when I was doing really bad, mm-hmm. I was doing shit because I was like looking up I to shit. Like I want to be like X-rated. He was in yeah. the backstory. Mm-hmm. He was 16 when he got incarcerated. Really? So then, when I was 17 and mm-hmm. I got incarcerated, to me mm-hmm. that was like a parallel of like mm-hmm. um, just like my idol. You yeah. know what I mean? And so crazy. Um, so yeah, so that was that was a huge thing for me, a huge step forward. He started telling me books to read. I started mm-hmm. reading like the 48 Laws of Power, Great Robert Green. Um, he. Uh, the four agreements like different books that were all about mental growth and Mm -hmm. like you know being able to focus and stuff and so that was huge and then I went to a work camp the last Mm -hmm. 14 months Mm -hmm. and while I was there um, I was going to school still but I had had one class left Mm -hmm. that I still had to do Mm -hmm. because I was in uh, Rogue Community College which was the college that uh, the place I was at last they went through their online courses yeah and so the class was Introduction to Sociology. Oh, okay. And so and when I got into went it. to the camp, mm-hmm. I, I thought, I'm just going to work while I'm here, mm-hmm. and I'm just not going to do school. But I started that sociology class, and mm-hmm. I swear to God, it was like a light bulb. Yeah. It was like everything that I've been through, like I could now understand, like, that was why I did that. Mm-hmm. Like my environment, where I was growing up, the things that were normal to me, the things that I was told are okay. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this shit all makes sense. Like yeah. it all, it all is coming together. Yeah. And so then that was what drove me when I got out to continue going to school. Yeah. Was to do that sociology. And I had no idea what kind of job I wanted to do. I just knew like, this is interesting to me and this yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And that was where I learned a lot of, a lot of stuff about like, other culture history too like not mm-hmm. even um things that i didn't even know about like redlining and mm, yeah um you know and civil rights movements and how they were discrimination trying, and trying how they to be squashed yep. by the government and all these different things that i was just like a little sneaky racism i was like oh shit like that's real <laughs> and uh i can even remember when i read about the central park five initially I was actually going to bring that up to you because you, you know, one of the first things that it was struck me about you was that obviously you did your crime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They didn't do their crime. No, they didn't do it. But yeah. you were in the same position where you were like, "Yo, hold on, what? I'm going to, I'm going to jail? Like, I mean, like, it's my first time." Yeah. And I can only imagine where they were like, "I didn't do anything," and you're like. Well, I did, but I mean, like, come on, y'all, like, you know, like, so I'm sure that really resonated with you on that, huh? Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm. And I and I just like, to me, that was so huge. It was like, I can't imagine, like, I can imagine what it's like to be incarcerated, but I can't imagine what it's like to be incarcerated and know that you didn't I didn't it. fucking do anything. I didn't do it. But I'm stuck here mm-hmm. and no one believes me. And it's because of the color of my skin yep. and it's stereotypes. Yep. And now I'm stuck in this system and, mm-hmm. and no one's going to come help me. Nope. Um, it's just going to be the way it is. Matter of fact, everybody's trying to convince me that I know what I know to not be true, that it is true. So yeah. that must really just drive people fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. for sure. Man. So, yeah. So I'm basically at this point, it's January. I get out within four days. Mm-hmm. 
the new term starts for for college. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm back in Grants Pass. I'm going to Road Community College mm-hmm. in person now. Mm-hmm. Um, I I had done a paper mm-hmm. when I was at the camp mm-hmm. about um, introduction to sociology, and it was about um, norms and uh, mores and, mm-hmm. and all these different sociological theories. And I I basically just took my story and mm-hmm. how my life fit into these patterns. Mm-hmm. And so the teacher took my paper mm-hmm. and she kept it. I got an A on the paper. Mm-hmm. I get out and I have the same teacher uh, who dope. I had when I was in, but I didn't know because it was distance learning. You know, like I never talked to her everything. She goes, yeah. one day I'm in class and she pulls me out and she goes, hey, I remember your paper. I still have it. And I was like, oh, really? She's like, yeah, I still have your paper. That's one of the best papers I've ever gotten. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I was like, thanks. You know, and she mm-hmm. goes, are you okay if, if I use this as an example for the class? You know, like I, I attach this and it's something they can look at as an example of how to write this paper. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, That's dope. so I was like super pumped. You know, mm-hmm. I felt good. Um, I mean, honestly, getting out was just about as difficult as before I went in, yeah. if not more, because yeah. literally a week before I got out, my mom, uh, I was supposed to go back and live with my mom. She got kicked out of her place Damn. for not paying rent. <laughs> so now they're living in a hotel. We're living in this dirty ass hotel. It's mm. like, you know, one of those slum hotels yeah. where you know, yep. there's outside selling meth. Yep. People are doing, you know, there's prostitution going on. Yep. And shit. There's like four of us living in a hotel room. And I'm, I'm like, God damn, this is like almost worse than being locked up. Shit, like, I really like, yeah, like, I mean, I'd not rather be locked up. Yeah, like, 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 at least I have my own cell, you know? Like, <laughs> have my own space. Have my own spot. You know? Yeah, shit. But uh, so I, I do that. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to school. I'm like barely hanging on. School, mm-hmm. school literally gave me a reason to keep going because yeah. I was like, at least I have this. At least I have this one thing that I, I have to keep myself accountable for. Yeah. So, I, I kept going to school. Eventually, like, I got a car. I used one of my financial aid checks to get a car. And then um, I was basically, for a long time, there was, there was like a three or four month period where I was living in my car or staying at somebody's house. Mm-hmm. Like, staying wherever I could stay. Yeah. So I was homeless. Like, I was just staying where I could stay, mm-hmm. um, doing what I could do. And so it was just like, it was it was very depressing. And, and me just going through that, I could mm-hmm. see... Now I could see mentally like how all these other dudes I see leave and come back. Come I'm back. Like, yeah. I'm like, damn, no wonder. Like yeah. if, if I didn't have that that drive or just that that ability to be like, fuck that, I'm not quitting. Mm-hmm. I'm not, no matter what, I'm not going back. Mm-hmm. Like if I didn't have that in my head, it would be mm-hmm. so easy to just to just go back to with, doing with with ease. I, I remember again, like, like I said, like that was why I wanted Francis here to talk about this because I have never been that deeply in the system. I've been around the system, you know, I've had family members being in and out of the system, but I remember the first time I heard something like that was on a, a song with Juicy J. He said, uh, probation is a scam. You're going to get out of jail. You're going to go back to the spot where you used to be, where you used to hang out with. And I know like, correct me if I'm wrong, one of like the stipulations with certain like probation sometimes is like, you can't hang out with certain people or oh, something yeah, like that. Yeah. You can't hang out with certain people. So it's like, bro, I got out of jail. It's not like I'm going, getting out of jail and going back to a fucking great situation. I'm most likely going back to the block yeah. to where I originally was from. And who's there? 
the motherfuckers I did, felons. yeah, the felons I did work with. So you're telling me I can't hang out with these people? Okay, yeah, I can't hang out with. These Who the fuck am I gonna hang out with? Nobody wants to hang out with me. I'm yeah. a fucking felon. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm a super predator or whatever the fuck you want to call me. So it's just all a fucking like it's a ploy in some ways. It it, it sucks. The cycle it sucks. No, I mean that that's the kind of shit that happens too. Because like I can even remember one night. So a couple of my co-defendants like. Mm-hmm. We weren't cool after. I can imagine. And, and, and people like basically like blame me, you know, like, oh, this is your idea. Now I got to go to jail or whatever. You know, it's bullshit. I didn't put a gun to your head, bitch. So I'm at Safeway one day with my dad and I mm. see one of my co-defendants and he's with some chick and he's trying to be, you know, hard, tough guy mm. or whatever. And so he's talking shit and he says something to the girl and she's laughing or whatever. And mm. I'm like, hey, what's up, bro? Like. Mm. Fuck it, let's go outside. Like I, at this point, I'm hot. I'm, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm homeless. I'm mm-hmm. living in the car. I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can. Just stay on the like, straight and narrow. And I'm like, dude, but I, this motherfucker, man. Like, yeah, like, I can't, mm-hmm. you know. Because you're still living by the street code. Yeah, and so he ends up leaving and uh, goes to back to the probation and tells them that I was in in Safeway threatening him. So then I have to explain to my probation officer, you know, like, wow. hey, like this dude was saying shit to you me. Antagonizing me. And, and I and I told him, mm-hmm. like, if if it is what it is, if you want to go outside. And yes. he was like, Well, if you say something like that again, like I'm gonna put you on a 90 day. So you're gonna go back to jail. And I was like, <sighs> So that's like it, it's I think that's one of the biggest parts of, of being um incarcerated and and um I even tell this to a lot of the kids like <laughs> that I work with is like you gotta understand like in every situation, mm-hmm. you have to be the bigger person. Oh, yes. Because you're, oh, yes. you're always the person that has the most to lose. Oh, yes. Because it's like, if you if you get in a fight with some dude and he, he's never been to jail, he's, he's shit's not going to happen to him. If you got a felony and you got, you're on probation, whatever, right back. your ass is going to jail. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed. No questions. So there's so many times where it feels like you just feel like a bitch and you feel like you have to just be like, oh, I just have to take <laughs> it. And just like a move, bitch. You know, keep it moving. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, I mean I, I chuckle at that like a bitch because one of the biggest things uh, my wake up call came when I was a kid is that I remember my parents used to preach to me about being a punk and how that was so irrelevant because like I mean Francis is a little bit older than me but I'm still uh, young enough but old enough to remember the term being a punk like oh, yeah. you remember that that used yeah. to be the biggest thing like you know before that was being called a bitch like we didn't really call a man no bitch back then it was being called being a punk. Oh, you a punk. And it would be like, whoa, 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 what? I'm yeah. not a punk. Like, what you mean? Like, and you would just outwardly have this weird ass fucking need to prove, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? To prove punk. that you weren't a punk. And, and, and prior to being called a punk, they used to play this game called chicken back in like the fucking fifties when a motherfucker would drive a car, two people drive a car towards a cliff and whoever chickened out first and hit the brakes would be the loser. And whoever kept driving would be the winner. Now, did y'all hear what I just said? Drive a car, to a cliff. Dog, that's literally what being a punk was, proving how fucking far you would go to basically kill yourself. And so one of the biggest problems were was that, and still is, because they just have different terms for it now, is that being a punk, you're not a punk, bro. Just leave the situation alone. Just walk away, bro. Just fucking leave. Like, you're bigger than that. And I know you may feel inadequate. You may feel fucking like silly people laughed at you like i had a situation uh last year that i talked about in one of my episodes they're like i was faced with being called a punk and it was just like i could have man i could have just 
really just ruined the situation. I could have really fucked this person up. I really could have just, just, I, man, thinking back to it, we wouldn't be sitting here had I taken this situation where I felt really embarrassed and took it over the edge because this person was really antagonizing me. But it was something like, just something that I always call like, you know, like, you know, for my personal sake, I just call it God speaking to me and be like, hey, man, do you want your life to move forward? If you do, don't fucking do this. And that was like one of the first like huge wake up calls in my fucking intoxication of me always being non sober that I first like listened to that little voice in my head and was like, Pooch, do not fucking do it. Because prior to that, I was like, man, nah, nobody's gonna call me no punk. And the silly part about it is this was less than a year ago, you know? I'm fucking 28, so I can only imagine what it felt like being out of jail, you know, 21, 22 years old or whatever, yeah. and somebody antagonized you, calling you a punk. You're like, man, fuck this. I ain't no damn punk. So you're, let me, let me, let me ask you this. Um, <laughs> I feel really silly saying this, but would you, or how do you feel, you listen to rap, and you already said that. How do you feel knowing that you've been through the system and you hear all these rap songs and you hear all this glorification about this stuff and you're like, dude, I went through that. It's really not that dope. Yeah, it's not. It's really not that dope. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like the glorification of like the quote unquote thug life like, yeah. and what that really, how that makes you think like, man, what the fuck's wrong with you guys? No, yeah. I mean, like it's it's crazy too now because um, I think like even when, when I was younger, you had dudes and they were really like doing it. Mm -hmm. They were really like, mm -hmm. you know, like a lot of the guys I was listening to mm -hmm. and stuff like Sibo was in and out of prison. Like mm -hmm. X-Rated was in prison. Like a lot of these dudes, mm -hmm. like, you know, even Pac was in prison, yeah. you know, C murder's like, gone C -Murder, forever. You know, C murder's like, gone forever. They're, mm -hmm. These guys were really doing what they were saying. So it wasn't, it wasn't glorification. like, it wasn't glorification. It wasn't entertainment. It mm -hmm. was like explanation mm -hmm. and like, um, basically snitching on yourself too. It was like a way for them to vibe with their community and mm -hmm. what was really actually going on in their yeah. community. But yeah. now you just have it and it's like, it's these guys that are entertainers yeah. and they're just out here just saying whatever they want to say. Glorify. And you know what I mean? They they don't really give a shit about how that impacts anybody. It's just more so for them to 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 fit that persona that they're, they're trying to be, you know, and like, I even think, like, I was thinking about this the other day. I saw the, I was watching, uh, oh my God, what's it called? You know the, the Joe Budden podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, don't I don't know what it's called. But, yeah, um, I don't know what it's called either. He was he was on there, and they were talking about uh, Takashi 69 Oh, my God. And how Akon gave him the locked-up sample. Locked up. And the whole time, like, uh, they were arguing about, because Tory Lane said something about it, too. Yeah, because he said he wanted it. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, man, like, but in my mind, I was like, that should have went to like Meek Mill or, you or know, somebody, somebody that like that I like has, I could least respect. I mean, yeah. I'm not gonna say respect, but it's just like when you look at it, and I, I don't listen to that rainbow headed motherfuckers music. No, but it's just like to me, here's the problem, and, and I'll share a quick story before we wrap this up. Um, and <laughs> it used to be a thing, you know, I just said about being a punk. The flip side of being a punk would be the the, the male version of saying that would be what we would call a poser. Yeah. Uh, where I'm from, we called you flage, and it would be basically fanking the funk. Like you yeah. wouldn't wear certain shit that you didn't know nothing about because you didn't want people to know that you were faking the funk. You know, yeah. it would be like you know, like I wouldn't wear a red bandana because I'm, like, I ain't no, I'm not a blood. Yeah. But now you see people, like, you know, like 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 that rainbow head motherfucker who like does these things, and you're like, bro, you know nothing about that. And it's so crazy how this generation now just like they're just whatever. And it was like, bro, I come from a generation that you wouldn't fake the funk. Like, the worst thing would be 
getting your card pulled to be shown that you aren't really what you claim to be. But now everybody's just so engulfed in like the celebrity. They're like, man, I don't give a fuck. Be yeah. fake. And it's just like, I don't know, man. Like it kind of rules me because I know people like yourself who like clearly been through these things and you're like, man, that shit ain't cool, dog. Believe me, yeah. it's not as cool as you think it is. So now like you're 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 in the place in your position. You're what's life not like now that you like obviously you've done your time. It fucking sucks that you had to do as much time as you did. But you've done your time. What's life like now that you're a, a free man and you've been free for over 10 years now? I mean, well, I think um, there was a guy I used to know and he was a he was a blood. Mm-hmm. But he was a, a, a like an ex-pimp. And he he talked to me when I first got out and he was like, it's going to take you at least seven years to, to to get back on your feet. He's like, that's just how it is. And I remember when he told me that, I was like, this dude's full of shit. He don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> and then <laughs> I, like I spent the next, you know, I mean, I could say like I graduated, I got my bachelor's degree in 2013. So that was mm-hmm. five years after I was incarcerated. Mm-hmm. I finally got a job in 2014. So mm-hmm. six years after I was incarcerated mm-hmm. where I had an opportunity to move up. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like a shit job. I was mm-hmm. working at a gas station for like three years <sighs> because no one would hire me. Yeah. It was just like, You're a felon. oh, you got this? I go. Walmart doesn't even hire felons, bro. Yeah. I go through interview after interview and it'd be like, oh yeah, we want you for sure, for sure. And then all we got to do is background check. They do it, come back. Oh, sorry, we can't do it. Mm-hmm. And so I worked in mental health for about four years mm-hmm. and that was right before I came to Sacramento. And uh, I worked my way all the way up. I was a crisis intervention trainer. I was a assistant program manager. I was like, I was really high there. And, uh, I came here and the laws are different in California than Oregon. So then in California, if you're convicted of a crime after, I think it's after like three years after you're off parole or probation, Mm. you can apply for a certificate of rehabilitation. Mm. And if you have that, then when people are looking at your background check, they see, oh, they went to jail. But all these people signed off on saying like they're on the right track. They're doing this, that, the other. And it has like your accomplishments in there and stuff. Yeah. And so, but because I was incarcerated in Oregon, Mm -hmm. I'm not eligible for that because it's by county. I would have, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I had a job offer to work as a a crisis respite person that would basically work in this office, taking phone calls for people that were like dealing with crisis. Yeah. Decide like, do the cops need to go out? Does a mental health professional need to go out? Whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was denied because of that. And so at that point, I had already been in Sacramento. I'd already been denied, mm-hmm. I don't know, like probably 10 to 15 jobs because mm-hmm. of my felony. Yeah. And so I was like, well, maybe I could see if I could get it off my record. And so initially when I got out in Oregon, you couldn't, if you were convicted of a measure 11 crime, mm-hmm. you couldn't apply for clemency because mm-hmm. they were like, no, that stays on your record forever. Mm-hmm. They changed that. Thank God. Around like 2016 or 17. Okay. And so I was I was unaware that that changed, but I just started looking to see. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I can do this. So I sent all my stuff in for that. Um, the district attorney wrote me a letter mm-hmm. that he um, agreed that it should be removed from mm-hmm. my record. And uh, in July 2019, they told me, that they had six months to make a decision, which the state never. So the state, if they want me, mm-hmm. if the state wants to come get me today, <laughs> they would make it a priority to 
come get me today and go lock me up. Really? But if I need them mm-hmm. to complete something for me, they're gonna take their merry ass time. Yeah, uh, we'll get to that when we can. Yeah, that's how that works. So it's been <laughs> almost a year that I've been waiting. Um, Sheesh, man. Uh, for that, so it's basically like it's within the governor's hands to mm-hmm. make the decision. The governor of Oregon. Um, and so right now I'm basically like, I'm working two jobs, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I work basically seven days a week. Yeah. So, and I work in a detox center and I still work at the nonprofit that I worked for, Mm -hmm. um, before. And so right now really to me, it's just like, no matter what's going on, um, I've never been the type of person to just lay down and be like, well, you know what? Shit ain't going my way. So fuck it. Like, I just keep pushing. You, yeah. There's always, there's always an option. There's always something you can do, even mm. if it's something you don't want to do, even Preach. if it's uncomfortable. Preach. Like you learn more from the uncomfortable shit in your life than you learn from anything else. And so, like to me right now, it's this is not uncomfortable compared to where I've been. Mm. It's just annoying more than anything <laughs> like because i'm like i got a master's degree in organizational management i got you know crisis intervention certificate like I'm, I'm i'm pretty um, like i'm pretty accomplished i'm Just, almost done with my drug and alcohol counselor thing i, mm-hmm. I got a, a, a personal trainer certificate i got yeah. all these different things but because i can't do anything mm-hmm. when i'm when i like like mm-hmm. when i'm interested in learning something mm-hmm. I just like, all right, well, I want to know it all the way. So mm-hmm. I just keep doing stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so right now, yeah, that's just where I'm at. I'm mm-hmm. working seven days a week, like in terms of social justice. Like, I'm married. My mm-hmm. wife is half Filipino, um, half Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my stepson is mm-hmm. is half Filipino uh, or I guess a quarter Filipino. Mm-hmm. He's uh, black and Mexican, so mm-hmm. but he looks black. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like, in terms of social justice, a lot of the conversations I have with them is just, like, pay attention to how people treat you. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to how people treat your friends mm-hmm. and how they treat you, mm-hmm. you know, because he he does, he's grown up a lot around a lot of white kids. And um, I think Sacramento was the first time where he, even when uh, my wife used to live in the Bay Area, they lived in nicer areas in the mm-hmm. Bay Area. So it was a lot of Chinese or white people, you know. Yeah, the exposure. He didn't, he didn't have that exposure that he has now, mm-hmm. you know? And so I just try to explain to him, like, like, look at, pay attention to what's going on. Pay attention to why people are acting the way they're acting, you know, like, cause things are going to happen, you know, but you can't emotionally respond because mm-hmm. your friends can, and it's not fair, mm-hmm. but, but you, can. you can't. Cause if you do, then you'll be the violent, angry, aggressive yeah. person, yeah. you know? And, yeah. Um, exactly. I, I made him, uh, he got in trouble. It was kind of funny. <laughs> Kids being stupid. Yeah. So like, he's at school. He's got these friends, and they're like, "I dare you to go tell this girl, mm-hmm. you know, you want a humper." <laughs> <laughs> it's kid shit, right? Yeah, yeah. Kid I'm shit, right? Yeah, stupid shit. So done. It's little boys. This is kind of funny. Teenagers. I'm putting them on blast right now. But uh, <laughs> so he he comes home one night, and it's just like hella weird. And, and and my wife's like, "He got in trouble at school today," and I'm gonna talk to him. And I'm like, "Okay." And so he comes out. And, and he's like about to cry, mm-hmm. but she tells him, you got to go tell him. <laughs> so he comes out and he's like, I didn't want to, but my friends friend told, told me, me to. to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, so I said, I said something and I'm like, yeah. said, and I was like, I'm confused. I'm like, like, what did you say? You said what? Like, what are you talking about? He goes, I, I told this, I said, this girl, I want to, I want to hump her. And I was like, 
it was so fucking hard yeah. to not laugh. Yeah, but no, I definitely. knew I knew like right then it's I had to serious. be serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to be serious, but I'm in my mind of like this shit's kind of funny, but it's not though because <laughs> yeah. the, you know but you gotta understand the ramifications. Yeah, the bro. ramifications of what could happen yeah. and the fact that like he's a black kid and yeah. it was actually a white little girl. Oh, I was gonna say I'm assuming he's a white girl, he said, Oh, yeah, oh, and so I'm like, Oof. I'm like, shit, you know. So um <laughs> so he tells me this. And so I have to be serious, and I'm like, do you understand, like, in society already, like, the way people try to paint mm. paint the picture of this, these black heathens, and they're out here raping, they're going to rape, and they're going to assault. They're dangerous. Do, you know, they're dangerous. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, bro, wait, you have, you have, right now, you have a responsibility to, to not um, be that stereotype. Mm-hmm. Like, you, Perpetuate you can't, that stereotype. Yeah, you can't say stuff like mm-hmm. that. You can't, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I just try to explain stuff like that to him. Mm-hmm. Um, when me, it's crazy because so your boy doesn't understand the ramifications of um, <laughs> telling uh, young, not even just young white girls, but just little girls that <laughs> you yeah. can't hump them. <laughs> yeah, and so I can imagine that was really uncomfortable for you, but but you were like, yo, I, I got to do this. I got to be a good example here, huh? <laughs> yeah, and it was it was it was kind of funny because it was like I almost had to because I I was I wasn't that upset about it but mm-hmm. i understood like the bigger picture mm-hmm. so i had to appear to be more upset yeah. and very stern <laughs> and very much like why would you do that why would you know do you even know what that means well i do now because my mom told me but i didn't you know like so I was straight like, up little kids yeah. so i'm like you can't just i was like that's another thing um that i talked to him about was mm-hmm. just like you can't always worry about fitting in, you oh, know, yeah. like, cause I, I even, exp- I try to explain that to them all the time. Like all, all these people that I know that I knew when I was in high school, oh, yeah. most of them ain't doing shit. Cool so, motherfuckers. That's my yeah, pants. Cool, the cool, the cool, so cool, the cool so guys, cool, the cool guys. like they're doing nothing. And, and, and I remember worrying so much about, Oh, what does this person think? What does this person think? Yeah. And it doesn't matter, man. Like, you know, I remember, um, right before, uh, the the world closing down. We went to a um we went to a Sacramento Kings game, and uh, I because your son's he's 13, 13, 13, 13, 12. 12, 12. and I remember like I was like talking to him. I was like, dude, you know one thing I like I, I looked at him and I was like, you're you're twelve. And he was like, yeah. I was like, bro, just enjoy this, bro. Enjoy this, but realize that like it's completely irrelevant. And you like said to him, was like, dude, like a lot of those guys that I knew, like, I don't even know where they are, like, and none of that shit's even important. And I was like, Yeah, it's really not. Like, yeah. I too, like, you know, just like I remember, you know, just being like, Oh, I'm gonna do this to impress so and so. I don't even know where the fuck so and so is now. Yeah. I don't even know where they are. Some of them are dead. I'm just like, dude, and I really wanted to impress you people. Like, but it's just something, just a learned behavior of trying to figure it out. But it's super dangerous because. I would imagine a lot of the things that you did that you shared with us today, you did it because you were trying to be cool with people who had no intentions of doing the right thing. They just were fucking here and gone today and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's just, I think it's, it's a human need to feel a part of a group. And unfortunately a lot of the times like people take advantage Mm -hmm. in doing that. And I mean, for me, that's another on top of social justice or whatever you want to call it, like politics. I don't, yeah. I don't do politics, man. I don't do Republican, Democrat, none of that shit because I'm like, no one's going to tell me like what my views should be. Like I, I, my views are going to be what I think is right. Mm-hmm. What I think is going to help the most people. Mm-hmm. I'm not, 
gonna sit here and be like, well, I'm pro-abortion because I'm this, or I'm I'm pro-wall because I'm Republican, and I gotta die by these values because somebody told me they were important. Nah, you know, and um, and just on the topic of racism as well, like that's where a lot of that comes from. No, most it's definitely, just, it's passed down. You it, know? It's all the biggest thing with a lot of things is all systematic. You know, yeah. people in themselves don't want to think for themselves. They want to be told what to do. That's why a lot of times when you guys catch me, you don't catch a drift of like, which side do you stand on, pooch? I stand on my side, motherfucker, because I've only lived my life. And because I've lived in so many different places, I can tell you that life isn't black and white. Um, it's a mixture of grays. You know what I'm saying? The shit that you have to just look at and think circumstantially about. Um, it isn't a shortage of why you believe what you believe because you really believe it. It's chances are somebody told you to believe it. And until you're exposed to other things in life, you start to realize that, whoa, hey, maybe they were wrong. And guess what? Chances are they were. But as Francis said, it's all simply employed. Um, we're going to ride on out. Uh, I'm going to close this out. Francis, it's been a great episode, man. I really do appreciate it. I mean, I wish we could have brought this earlier. But, you know, timing is everything. So I do appreciate having you on the show. Uh, tell the people where they can find you, man, social media, Twitter, whatever you want to drop. OK. Yeah, you can find me um, unconventional, unconventional wisdom on Instagram or heavily doubted at Twitter. Yeah, those are the two that are um, my main ones that I go on. I don't really mess with Facebook. Like that <laughs> no more. I think that's just a drama ground. But, uh, within the next couple months, I'll, I'll, I'll be promoting. um the book that I'm coming out with. Mm-hmm. So it'll be really interesting. Yeah. It's a lot about a lot of what we talked about today. Mm-hmm. Concepts on how, you know, you change your environment, you change uh, your set of your mindset and how, you know, gaining confidence through competencies gets you to that mindset change. No, most definitely, man. It's a, it's a progression factor. Uh, you know, I, can say one of the things I love about Francis' story is like he said, like I've never been one to just lay down and quit, you know, like I, it's, I got to get up and fight and which is very much true, man. You a multitude of times could have been like, you know what, this is my life. I'm fucked up. You know, in that six years that you knew you got, you could have been like, how about I do another crime and just get life? You know, fuck yeah. it. My life's not worth anything. And you're like, nah, dog, like I'm going to figure something out here. Like yeah. something's going to shake which is just like my continuance to understand for you guys, Six Feet Under Podcast. I told y'all a long time ago, it's not about literally being dead. It's about being dead inside and living underneath six feet of bullshit. But you have to understand as long as you have air in your lungs and a mental capacity to believe that you can, you can get out of the bullshit that you're going through. Everybody's going through shit. Newsflash, buddy. You know what I'm saying? But it isn't about what you're going through. It's how you're going to get the fuck out of it and if you want to actually get out of it. So, Francis, my dog, I appreciate you being here. You now listen to another episode of Six Feet Under Podcast. I am your five foot nine host with sophisticated ignorance, Uncle Pooche. And like always, ladies and gentlemen, please, please, please allow the peace to kill the evil that is trying to come from within you. And until next time, y'all, I'm out. <laughs>